The second reading is taken from James 2, verses 14 to 26, and this is found on page 1044 of your Pew Bibles. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God, good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. In the same way was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Here ends the reading. Let's pray as we begin. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can come together tonight and we can gather and listen to you, uh, to your voice. Uh, we pray that you'd help us to set aside uh, the things of today, uh, whether joys or sorrows, uh, and to come before you now. And we do ask that you would challenge us by your word, uh, correct us by your word, comfort us by your word if that's what we need, rebuke us by your word if that is what we need. Father, do your work in us tonight, we pray, by your spirit. Amen. Uh, well, apologies to anyone who is in marketing, uh, but I think sometimes marketers can kind of stretch the truth a little bit, can't they? Uh, use this or that cream, and amazingly, your skin will look and feel 10 years younger. Uh, or use this or that perfume or spray, uh, and you'll suddenly become more confident and attractive. I'm thinking of some of the Lynx adverts in particular there. Uh, some marketing claims are stretching the truth a little bit. Some are bending the truth or are false. Uh, here's one uh, from Coca-Cola. Uh, they make uh, the uh, vitamin water, and uh, they falsely claimed that uh, vitamin water could promote healthy joints, reduce the risk of eye disease. I don't know if you knew that, Tess. Apparently so, they said, and have other health benefits. But actually, no. Uh, that was false. Their claims were not true. 
Or how about another one? This is uh, the Wrigley's Eclipse gum, and uh, apparently their gum with magnolia bark extract could kill germs that cause, cause bad breath. Uh, well, their claim was unfounded, and Wrigley's uh, agreed to pay out something up, like up to $7 million to settle a class action against them. Uh, and then some marketing campaigns are actually based on lies. Uh, you might know that Volkswagen uh, got into trouble. The uh, German car maker, they claimed that their diesel cars were environmentally friendly when, in fact, Volkswagen had rigged the results of uh, the emissions tests, and they lied. And the company has so far apparently paid out billions in settlements uh, for this scandal. Well, as we come to this passage of James chapter 2, tonight on page 1044, if you want to follow in the church Bibles, James is busting an outrageous claim that perhaps is doing the rounds amongst Christians that he's writing to. He's actually busting a lie. And that is that all you need to do is believe the right things and you'll be saved. You don't have to worry about your behavior. That is, you can have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, as he put it last week in chapter 2, verse 1. But that faith doesn't need to cash itself out in your life. And James tackles this lie head on. And he has one big point in almost this uh, sermon. It's a bit like a sermon as he writes here today. And his big point is this, is that faith without deeds cannot save you. Faith without deeds cannot save you. There's a big no-entry sign into heaven if your faith does not have deeds. And like any good preacher, he comes at this from three different angles. So we've got three points for his sermon tonight. And uh, those are all in your order of service as well. Uh, so you can follow along there as we go and take some notes uh, on the inside of your order of service. First of all, we're going to see how empty words will not save you. Then how faith on its own does not save you. And finally, what does save is this faith that is worked out in deeds, as we see two examples of Abraham and Rahab. So firstly, empty words do not save you. Empty words do not save. James begins in verse 14. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, he says, if someone claims to have faith, but has no deeds. Can such faith save them? And the implied answer is no. Now, faith that has no deeds cannot save this person. Now, but what does faith without deeds look like? Because this isn't us, is it? Well, James helpfully gives us an example with another one of his supposed situations. We had one last week as well. Here it is in verses 15 to 16. Suppose a brother or sister, now that is someone in your church family, is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? Now, perhaps uh, in the past you've known someone in a church family of yours, or you might know someone now who has gone through or is going through financial difficulty. Now, maybe they've lost their job or they can't work, and they really haven't got enough to get by on. 
Uh, well, imagine you know someone like that amongst our church family, and you see them on Tuesday down the street on Military Road. You're coming out of IGA uh, with a couple of shopping bags full of food for that night and the next couple of days. And uh, you see this person from church, and you stop and have a bit of a chat, and you know that they're struggling. And uh, as you chat with them and they share, uh, you, you find out that actually they, they can't afford to buy food uh, for that week. And uh, they're going to go home and they can't afford to put the heating on in the middle of winter. Now imagine saying to them as you finish talking to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed. Well, that's a ludicrous thing to say, isn't it? When you're walking out with shopping bags full of food to make a great meal and a warm home as you get home. What good do your words do there? And this is James's point. They do no good. They do no good for that person. And actually, they do no good for you either. They're just empty platitudes. Now, perhaps that situation isn't ours very often. But I wonder if we fall into empty words like that a bit in our prayers. Now, maybe we hear of the plight of brothers and sisters, Christians somewhere, maybe in other parts of Sydney, maybe in other parts of the world, who are in need. And rightly, we might pray for them. And we might pray along the lines of almost, as James puts it here, that uh, they might keep warm and be well fed. When actually, maybe God would rather have us open our bank accounts and help them out rather than our mouths, so that we might be the answer to our own prayers. James is challenging us here, as he said, it's no good to have faith but no deeds where that faith is lived out. And James's punchline, as he keeps, he'll keep on coming back to this, is in verse 17. In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. Now, this kind of faith that's just empty words is worse than useless. It's actually dead, as this person is revealed to be spiritually dead. Faith without deeds cannot save you. But it seems that some people are saying, well, actually, it's okay. You, you can be saved. We'll, we can separate out faith and deeds. Now, take a look at this first part of verse 18 with me. Someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Isn't this great? This is good. God has blessed us and given his gifts to us in different ways, and you've got the gift of faith, and I've got the gift of deeds. Isn't this good? And they're splitting up faith and deeds. But James keeps on banging on his drum as he says, look, faith on its own does not save you. Faith on its own will not save. Which is why he says in the second half of verse 18, look, show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by my deeds. Is it possible to show your faith without deeds? Well, I don't think so. Is it possible to see the wind? Well, no, we see the effects of the wind, don't we? And so it is, we see the effects of faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ as that works itself out in what we do, what we say, what we think. So we can't split up faith and deeds. And James goes on in this point about faith on its own does not save you, because actually, even demons are believing 
the right things about God. He goes to the foundational doctrine about God in the Old Testament. To Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, he says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Every Jew would have known this. They would have recited it every day. And so these predominantly Jewish Christians that James is writing to would know this. They would know that the Lord our God, the Lord is one. But James says, look, even demons believe this. You believe there's one God. You believe the Shema. Even demons believe that and shudder. Even demons have this right belief about God. But it doesn't bring them to salvation. It brings them to shuddering before the Lord, the only God. It doesn't bring them to a right response. And the right response to the Lord our God, the Lord is one, is given in the very next verse of Deuteronomy chapter 6 in verse 5. And it says this, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. That's the response to the belief, this right belief, that the Lord our God, the Lord is the only God. Belief should lead to deeds. And so James says, if, look, if you think you can, part, you can compartmentalize things and just have faith, well, the demons have that, and that will not save you. Again, his punchline in verse 20 is you're a fool. You foolish person, if you think you can just go with the faith part of things, have the right kind of things that you're believing in, you're a fool. Do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Well, we'll come back to that evidence that James gives us in a minute. But let's just pause on this idea of being foolish. And we need to ask, is this me? Am I being foolish? Now, do I believe the gospel and have a faith in Jesus, but... That doesn't result in action. It doesn't work itself out in what I do. Do I assent to the truths about God that we sing about in so many of our great songs on a Sunday, but it doesn't change how I live on a Monday or a Tuesday or a Wednesday? It doesn't change who I am when I'm at home. It doesn't change who I am when I'm on my own. It doesn't change when I'm out and about amongst Mossman Village. It doesn't change how I behave at work. It doesn't change the things I say when I'm with my friends. Now, we can say the Apostles' Creed or statements of faith like we've just said before this sermon and acknowledge Jesus with our lips here on Sunday and then walk out the door at the back and deny him with our actions day by day from Monday to Saturday. We can have all the right Christian talk but fail to walk the walk. We can say that the Lord our God is the only one, just as demons do. But then not give loving him and loving others a second thought. Now Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, warned us about a mere platitude in our faith. Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 7. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many of you will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and drive out demons in your name and perform in your name many miracles? 
Then I will tell them plainly, says Jesus, I never knew me. I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. See, not everyone who claims that Jesus is Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he, Jesus says, who does the will, who lives out their faith and does the will of his Father in heaven will enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus' words are sobering, aren't they? And challenging for us. So how can we be sure that we're not fools? How can we be sure that we have a faith that saves us? Well, James gives us now two examples of such saving faith. And they're examples where faith is worked out in deeds. And that brings saving faith. And the first example James goes to is the example of Abraham. Uh, We heard about Abraham in our first reading in Genesis chapter 22, uh, where God tested his faith. He laid out that terrible test before Abraham of asking Abraham to offer up his only son, his son of the promise, who would inherit all the promises of land, people, and blessing. And God asked him to offer his son as a sacrifice on the altar. And James reflects on this, and he says in verse 21, Was not our father Abraham considered righteous, considered to be in the right with God, for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? Or some translations say, Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? And some of us, when we hear that, will start to worry. Hang on, we're not saved by works, are we? Is that what James is saying? Now, we know that Paul says that we're saved by grace, not by works, so that no one can boast, Ephesians 2. Now, what's going on here? Are James and Paul saying two different things? Well, hang on, let's, let's let James carry on and hear a little bit more. James goes on saying this, you see that his faith, Abraham's faith, and his actions were working together. They were in synergy. And his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled or completed that says Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness and he was called God's friend. You see, James is showing us how faith, true faith, inevitably results in actions such that the two are working together and Abraham's faith was completed by what he did. Abraham's action of having such a faith in God, such that he was willing to obey God and offer up his only son, the heir of God's promise, fulfilled what was already true of Abraham, James says. See, back in Genesis chapter 15, verse 6, before Genesis 22, where Abraham offers up Isaac, God declares in Genesis 15, verse 6, Abraham as righteous. He credits him with the status of being in the right with him. And that was because Abraham trusted God and believed in God's promise that he would have a son and his descendants would be as numerous as the stars in the sky. Abraham believed God. He trusted him. He had faith in him that he would do the unbelievable. He had no children at that point. And it was credited to him as righteousness. And now in Abraham's actions in Genesis 22 later on, where God tests Abraham, 
Abraham sees and a watching world sees what is already true of Abraham. He is justified and his actions show that he is in the right with God. In that sense, James can say this. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. And I want to try and be really clear here. See, James is not denying justification by faith alone. A core doctrine, a core truth of the Reformation. James isn't denying that. And so we mustn't pit him against the Apostle Paul. But James is addressing addressing the issue of someone saying that they're saved by faith and then that doesn't need to affect how they live. That they don't need to worry about changing their actions and the things they do flowing on from that faith. Such faith, James says, is not faith at all. It's dead. It's useless. Someone wrote this about James and Paul here. Uh, a guy called Tom Schreiner, he says this, James does not disagree with Paul's contention that faith alone justifies, but he defines carefully the kind of faith that justifies. The faith that truly justifies can never be separated from works. Works will inevitably flow as the fruit of such faith. Both Paul and James affirm that we're saved by faith, to do good works. In fact, Paul in Ephesians 2, after his saying, we're saved by faith, by grace through faith, not by works, so that no one can boast, says that then God has created good works for us to do in advance. We're to walk in those good works. Faith flows out into good works. The reformer John Calvin puts it memorably like this. Faith alone justifies... But faith that justifies is never alone. It always works out in our lives. Well, James gives us briefly one more positive example of faith worked out in deeds, of saving faith. And that's a rather surprising example, Rahab the prostitute. Have a look at me at verse 25. In the same way... Was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? You can read about Rahab in more detail in Joshua chapter 2, but the short of it is, is that she knew that the God of Israel was the one true God. That was her faith. And she put that faith into action when the spies from Israel came into Jericho and they were found out and they were being hunted down and she hid the spies on her roof, do you remember? And sent the guards who were looking for them off and then sent the spies off after that. Her faith worked out in actions as she literally put her life on the line. See, James gives us a pillar of faith working out in actions in Abraham and a prostitute of faith working out in actions in Rahab to show us that faith without deeds is dead and is no faith at all. Again, his punchline. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. And with this, James hammers his point home. Faith without deeds cannot save you. What saves is a faith that is worked out in deeds. 
So what about you? As you sit here tonight. You see, just sitting here in the pews of church week by week, believing in truth about God on its own will not save us, will not save you. Now, what saves is a faith that works itself out in deeds flowing out from that. So how will your faith be worked out in you this week? Perhaps it'll be on Monday uh, when you're going through your email inbox, uh, perhaps at the end of the day, and uh, you uh, find that email from a Christian organisation telling you of someone in need, a brother or sister in need, and maybe this time it'll be right to put your faith in action and respond and donate online there and then to help a brother or sister in need. Maybe it'll be on Tuesday when you're, you're chatting with some friends and they begin to move into gossip about someone and your faith that shows itself in your deeds will mean, well, you're not going to jump onto that bandwagon with them. And in fact, you actually try and stop the conversation there in its tracks. Or maybe it'll be on Wednesday uh, when you're celebrating either Australia or England getting through to the next round of the World Cup. I'm not quite sure who to cheer for, really. I think I'll just be pleased that uh, one of those teams will win. And you're at a party for the World Cup and uh, you're enjoying a glass or two, a beer or two, uh, if, uh, if that's your thing. And your saving faith will mean that you'll stop at some point drinking, where perhaps others around you will keep on going. Now, you'll enjoy God's good gifts, but you're not going to let yourself getting into the danger of being drunk. On Thursday, what will saving faith look like for you? Will you get the idea? What will saving faith look like for you this week? Another Christian writer, Alec Matir, says this, The life of faith is more than a private, perhaps long-past, transaction of the heart with God. It is the life of active consecration seen in the obedience which holds nothing back from God and the concern which holds nothing back from human need. Faith is seen in the obedience which holds nothing back from God and the concern which holds nothing back from human need. And supremely, we see this life of faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, don't we? We see in him what true obedience to God is like and what true concern for others is like. And Jesus is the one whose faith, worked out in his deeds, saves us. As we follow him now, as we trust in him and let him change and shape us and our deeds. See, as James reflects on our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, he gives us wisdom from above to walk the talk. We're not saved by our good works, but we are saved for good works. So let's pray that we might uh, show our faith this week in our deeds. And to do that, I'm going to use uh, the words of a, a hymn that we sometimes sing to a modern tune. Take my life and let it be. Let's pray as we finish. O Lord, take our lives and let them be consecrated. 
Lord, to thee. Take our moments as we go into this week and the days of this week and let them flow in endless praise to you, O Lord. Lord, as we go out from here, take our hands and let them move at the impulse of your love. Take our feet and let them be swift and beautiful for thee. O Lord, take our voices and let us sing always only for you, our King. Take our lips where we are this week and let them be filled with messages from thee. O Lord, take our silver and our gold, not a mite would we withhold. Take our intellect that you've given us and use every power that you endow us with as you shall choose. O Lord, take our wills and make them yours, that they shall be no longer ours. Take our hearts, they are your own, and may they be your royal throne. O Lord, take our love, O Lord, we pour at your feet its treasure store. Take ourselves, that we might be ever only all for thee.